Hi, and welcome back to Stories of the Prophet series. Um, uh, yeah, so we move on after Isa to the last prophet of the series, and that is Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And yeah, it's been a long time since I updated, but um, yes, I promised um, to give you the story of all the prophets and I will keep it. I'll keep my promise. Okay, so you remember how Ibrahim al-Islam had two children, Ismail al-Islam and Isaac al-Islam. So all the prophets we um, read so far came through the lineage of Isaac al-Islam. That is after Ibrahim al-Islam, Isaac al-Islam. All of the prophets after him were under his lineage and the children of Ismail al-Islam um, yeah, their lineage led to the birth of Prophet Muhammad and the children of Isaac formed a tribe known as Bani Israel and the children of Ismail formed another tribe called Quraysh Ismail children were the Arabs and Isaac children were the Israelians okay so moving on so over the years, Ismail's children themselves had children. His descendants increased and formed tribes which spread out all over Arabia. One of these tribes was called Quraysh. Its people never moved away from Mecca and always lived near the Kaaba. One of the duties of the leader of Quraysh was to look after those who came on pilgrimage to the Kaaba. The pilgrims would come from all over Arabia. It was a great honor to provide them with food and water. But as time passed, however, the Arabs stopped worshipping Allah directly and started bringing idols back with them from different countries that they visited. These idols were placed at the Kaaba, which was no longer regarded as the sanctuary of Allah, as Ibrahim had intended it. It was, however, still respected by the Arabs. Around this time, the well of Zamzam disappeared beneath the sand. Also at this time, Qusay, one of the leaders of Quraysh, became the ruler over Makkah. He held the keys of the temple and had the right to give water to pilgrims, to feed them, to take charge of their meetings, and to hand out war banners before battle. It was also in his house that Quraysh settled their affairs. After Qusay's death, his son, Abdumanaf, who had become famous during his father's lifetime, took over the leadership of Quraysh. So this went on until um, Al-Muttalib took over the duties of uh, the Quraysh, and he travelled to Yathrib to see his nephew Sheba. And, well, Al-Muttalib, he bought back his nephew from Yathrib, this town called Yathrib. And his nephew's name was Shaiba, but when people saw him, they thought he was the slave of Al-Muttalib and started call him, calling um, Shaiba Abdul-Muttalib. And that's how the name Abdul-Muttalib came to be. And, yeah, and Abdul-Muttalib, finally after the time of Al-Muttalib, mm, took his place. Yes. He became the most respected member of his family, loved and admired by all. He was, however, unlike those Arabs who had given up the teachings of Ibrahim al-Islam. Okay, the well of Zamzam, which disappeared when the Arabs placed idols at the Kaaba, remained buried under the sand. And thus, for many years, the people of Quraysh had to fetch their water from far away. One day, Abdul Muttalib was very tired from doing this and fell asleep next to the Kaaba. He had a dream in which he was told to dig up Zamzam. 
when he woke up, he was puzzled because he did not know what Zamzam was. The well having disappeared many years before he was born. The next day, he had the same dream, but this time he was told where to find the well. Abdul Muttalib had one son at the time. Together, they began to dig. The work was so difficult that Abdul Muttalib um, had made a promise to Allah. In return, as a favor, in return um, for finding the well of Zamzam. Pilgrims, okay, after working for three days, they finally found the well of Zamzam. And pilgrims have been drinking from it ever since. Now, the story goes on to mention um, some kind of a sacrifice, but I don't know how authentic that is. So I will not be um, reading it out. But what I will do is I'll put this um, source down in the bio so you can find it and you can read it. Actually, I'm going to do this for all of the prophets that I mentioned. I'm going to add the sources or I make another um, podcast just with the sources. So you will know where I got things from and you'll know how to source it in case you have um, something to clarify or something to check. Okay, so. Give me a minute. Okay. Now, Abdul Muttalib's, uh, one of Abdul Muttalib's son was named Abdullah. Alright? So, Abdullah grew up to be a handsome young man and his father eventually chose Amina, the daughter of Wahab, as a wife for him. It was a good match for she was the finest of Quraysh women and Abdullah was the best of men. He spent several months with his wife, but then he had to leave her and travel with one of the caravans to trade with Syria. On his way back to Mecca from Syria, Abdullah became ill and had to stop off in Yathrib to recover. The caravan, however, continued on its way and arrived back in Mecca without him. On hearing of Abdullah's sickness, Abdul Muttalib sent another son, Al-Harith, to bring Abdullah, Abdullah um, back to Mecca. But he was too late. When he arrived in Yathrib, Abdullah was dead. Amina was heartbroken to lose her husband and the father of the child she would soon give birth to. Only Allah knew that this orphan child would one day become a great prophet. Okay. Abraha, who came from Abyssinia, a country in Africa, conquered uh, Yemen and was made wise regent there. He noticed that at a certain time of the year, a large number of people would travel from all over Yemen and the rest of Arabia to Mecca. He asked the reason for this and was told that they were going on pilgrimage to the Kaaba. Abraha hated the idea of Mecca being more important than his own country. So he decided to build a church of colored marble with doors of gold and ornaments of silver and ordered the people to visit it instead of the Kaaba, but no one obeyed him. Abraha became angry and decided to destroy the Kaaba. He prepared a large army led by an elephant and set off towards Makkah. When the Makkans heard that he was coming, they became very frightened. Abraha's army was huge and they could not fight it. But how could they let him destroy the holy Kaaba? They went to ask advice of their leader, Abdul Muttalib. When Abraha arrived outside Makkah, Abdul Muttalib went to meet him. Abraha said, what do you want? Abraha had taken Abdul Muttalib's camels, which he had found grazing as he entered Makkah. So Abdul Muttalib replied, I want my camels back. 
Abraha was very surprised and said, I have come to destroy your holy Kaaba, the holy place of your fathers, and you ask me about some camels? Abdul Muttalib replied calmly, The camels belong to me. The Kaaba belongs to Allah and he will protect it. Then he left Abraha and went back to Quraysh and ordered them to leave Mecca and wait for their enemies in the mountains. In the morning, Abraha prepared to enter the town. He put armor on his elephant and drew up his troop for battle. He intended to destroy the Kaaba and then return to Yemen. At that moment, however, the elephant kneeled down and refused to get up, no matter how much the soldiers tried to get it to move by beating it. But when they turned its face in the direction of Yemen, it immediately got up and started off. In fact, it did the same in any other direction, but as soon as they pointed towards Makkah, it knelt down again. Suddenly, flocks of birds appeared from over the sea. Each bird carried three stones of smallest peas and they dropped them on Abraha's army. The soldiers suddenly fell ill. Even Abraha was hit by the stones and fled in fear with the rest of his army back to Yemen, where he later died. On seeing the army flee, the Arabs came down from the mountains to the Kaaba and gave thanks to Allah. This will definitely be mentioned in Surah Al-Fil in Quran. After this, Quraysh gained great respect and became known as the people of Allah. And the year in which these events took place, 570 AD, was named the year of the elephant. In that year, Allah saved the Kaaba, and he would soon bring forth a prophet from among the Quraysh. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, hast thou not seen how thy Lord dealt with the owners of the elephant? Did he not bring their stratum to know and sent against them swarms of flying creatures which pelted them with stones of baked clay and made them like green crops devoured by cattle. This is uh, Surah 105 in Quran, which is Surah Al-Fil, verses 1 to 5. Okay, so moving on. Okay, one day while traveling north, one of the Arab tribes from Makkah met a hermit in the desert. Some of the men stopped to speak with him. Hermits were known to be wise and the Arabs often asked their advices. The hermit asked where they had come from. When they replied that they were from Makkah, he told them that Allah would soon send a prophet who would come from the people. They asked the name of this prophet and the hermit answered that his name would be Muhammad and that he would guide them to a new way of life. Meanwhile in Makkah, Amina, although saddened by the loss of her husband, felt especially well and strong as she awaited the birth of her baby. During this time, she dreamt of many things. On one occasion, it was as if great light was shining out of her, and another, she heard a voice telling her that she would have a boy and that his name would be Muhammad. She never forgot that voice, but she told no one about it. On Monday, the twelfth day of Rabi al-Awwal, in the ear of the elephant, Amina gave birth to a son. Allah sends man many signs when one of his chosen prophets is born, and on that twelfth day of Rabi al-Awwal, in the year 570 AD, many such signs were seen. Some were seen by Jewish scholars who had read in their scriptures of a coming prophet. One of those learned men in Yatrib, for instance, saw a brilliant new star he had never seen before as he studied the heavens that night. He called the people around him and, pointing the star out to them, told them the prophet must have been born. The same night another Jew was passing by the meeting place of the leaders of Quraysh in Mecca. He asked them if a baby boy had been born and they told him that if it were true, this would be a prophet of the Arab nation. Amina sent news of the birth to her father-in-law, Abdul Muttarib, who was sitting near the Kaaba at that time. He was very happy and began at once to think of a name for the boy. An ordinary name would not do. 
Six days came and went, and still he had not decided. But on the seventh day, as he lay asleep near the Kaaba, Abdul Muttalib dreamt that he should give the baby the unusual name of Muhammad, just as Amina herself had dreamt. And the child was called Muhammad, which means the praised one. When Abdul Muttalib told the leaders of Quraysh that he, uh, what he had named his grandson, many of them asked, Why did you not choose the sort of name that is used by our people? At once he replied, I want him to be praised by Allah in the heavens and praised by men on earth. Like many other women in Mecca, Amina decided to send her son away from the city for his early years to the desert where it was more healthy. Women from desert, from the desert used to come to Mecca to collect the new babies and they would then keep them until they developed into strong children for which they were well paid by their parents. Among the women who travelled to Mecca to fetch a new baby at the time Amina's son was born was a Bedouin woman called Halima. With her was her husband and baby son. They had always been very poor, but this year things were harder than ever because they had been f- under famine. The donkey that earned uh, Halima on the journey was so weak from hunger that he often stumbled. Halima's own baby son cried all the time because his mother could not feed him properly. Even the she-camel did not give them one drop of milk. Halima did not know what to do. She thought to herself, how can I possibly feed another baby when I haven't got enough milk even for my own son? At last they reached Mecca. All the the other women of the tribe to which Halima belonged, the Bani Saad, found a child to take back with them, but not Halima. The only baby left was Muhammad Usually the father paid the wet nurse, but Muhammad's father was dead, so no one wanted to take him, even though he was from one of the noblest families of Quraysh. Halima did not want to take him either, but she did not want to be the only woman to go back to her tribe without a baby to bring up. She asked her husband whether she should take Muhammad or not. He advised her to do so, adding, perhaps Allah will bless us because of him. They started on the journey, and as soon as Halima began to feed Muhammad, her milk suddenly increased and she had enough for him as well as her own baby son. When they were back home, everything began to change. The land became green, the and the date tree is one of their main sources of food, gave lots of fruit. Even the sheep and their old she-camel began to give plenty of milk. Halima and her husband knew that this good fortune had come because they had the new baby, Muhammad, whom they had come to love as if he were their own. When Muhammad was two years old, Halima took him back to his mother. She pleaded with Amina, however, to let her keep him for a little longer, and to her great joy, the mother agreed. During this time, with Halima's family in the desert, Muhammad played with her children and together they would take the sheep out to graze. At other times, however, Halima would often find him sitting alone. It is said that on one occasion, two angels came to Muhammad and washed his heart with snow. In this way, Allah made his heart pure for him uh, and he intended Muhammad to be greater than any other man ever born and to become the seal of the prophets. Did we not expand thy breast for thee, and ease thee of thy burden which weighed down thy back, and exalted thy fame? So truly with hardship comes ease. Truly with hardship comes ease. So when thou art relieved, still toil and strive to please thy Lord. Quran, Surah 94, verse 1 to 8. When Halima finally took Prophet Muhammad back to Amina, he was a healthy, strong boy. Later he would look back with joy at the time he had spent with Halima, and he always thought of himself as one of the Bani Sa'id. Muhammad returned to live with his mother in Mecca when he was about three years old. Three years later, Amina decided to take her son to visit his uncles in Yathrib. 
She told her maid, Baraka, to prepare everything that they would need for the long journey. And then they joined one of the caravans going there. They stayed in Yathrib a month. And Prophet Muhammad enjoyed the visit with his cousins. The climate there was very pleasant and he learned to swim and to fly a kite. On their way back to Makkah, however, Amna became ill and died. She was buried in the village at Al-Abwa, not far from Yathrib. Muhammad returned sadly to Makkah with his mother's maid. He was now six years old and had lost both his father and mother. He was then adopted by his grandfather, Abd al-Muttalib, who loved him dearly and kept him by his side at all times. It was the custom of Abd al-Muttalib to sit on a blanket near the Kaaba. There he was always surrounded by people who had come to speak to him. No one was allowed to sit on the blanket with him, however, except his grandson Muhammad, which shows how close they were to each other. Many times, Abd al-Muttalib was heard to say, this boy will be very important one day. Two years later, Abd al-Muttalib became ill, and Prophet Muhammad stayed by him constantly. Abd al-Muttalib told his son, Abu Talib, to adopt Muhammad after his death, which he did. Abu Talib had many children of his own, but Muhammad immediately became part of the family and the favorite child. The time came for Quraysh to prepare a caravan to go to Syria. Abu Talib was going with them, and he took Muhammad along. It was Muhammad's first journey to the north. After days of travel, the caravan arrived at the place near Syria, where the Romans used to come to trade with the Arabs. Near this marketplace lived a monk called Bahira. His cell had been used by generations of monks before him and contained ancient manuscripts. Bahira saw the caravan at a distance and was amazed to see that over it was a large white cloud. It was the only cloud in a clear blue sky and it appeared to be shading one of the travellers. The monk was even more surprised to see that the cloud seemed to follow the caravan but disappeared when the person who was shading sat down under a tree. Bahira knew from the scriptures that a prophet was expected to come after Jesus and it had been his wish to see the prophet before he died. Realizing that what he had just seen was a miracle, he began to think that his wish might after all come true. Again, I don't know if this little um, anecdote of the story is true, but I'm reading it. The monk sent an invitation to the Meccans to come and eat with him. The Arabs were surprised because they often passed by and Bahira had never invited them before. When the group was all together for the meal, the monk said, Is this everyone? No, someone said, A boy was left watching the camels. Bahira insisted that the boy should join them. The boy was Muhammad. When he arrived, Bahira said nothing, but watched him all through the meal. He noticed many things about his appearance which fitted the description in the old manuscripts. Later on, he took him aside and asked Muhammad many questions. He soon found out how he felt about the idols in the Kaaba. When Bahira tried to make him swear by them, as the Arabs used to do, Muhammad said, There is nothing in this world that I hate more. They talked together about Allah and about Muhammad's life and family. What was said made Bahira certain that this was indeed the Prophet who would follow Isa. Isa then the monk went to Abu Talib and asked him how he was related to Muhammad. Abu Talib told him that Muhammad was his son. Bahira replied that this could not be so because the boy was destined to grow up an orphan and he ordered Abu Talib to watch over Muhammad with great care. There are many stories told about Muhammad's youth. Some tell of how he used to take the family sheep to grave and was always kind to them. While they grazed, he would sit and thinking the mysteries of nature. Unlike those around him, he never worshipped the idols and never swore by them. 
He also wondered why people were always struggling for power and money, and this saddened him and made him feel quite lonely. But he kept his feelings to himself. He was a quiet, thoughtful boy and rarely played with the other boys of his age. On one occasion, however, Muhammad went with some of the boys to a wedding in Mecca. When he reached the house, he heard the sounds of music and dancing. But just as he was about to enter, he suddenly felt tired and sitting down fell asleep. He didn't wake up until late the next morning and thus missed the celebrations. In this way, Allah prevented him from doing anything foolish or he was keeping Muhammad for something much more important. Again, I really um, have not heard of this little anecdote before. So uh, take it with a grain of salt and I will link the sources in the bio if I can. So by the time uh, Prophet Muhammad was 25, he was famous for his honesty. He was respected by everyone, even the elders of Mecca. The purity of his nature increased with the years. It seemed he had an inner knowledge that other people did not have. He believed in one God creator of the world and he worshipped him with all his heart and with all his soul. Muhammad was the finest of his people, the most kind, truthful and reliable person in Mecca. He was known among Quraysh as the trustworthy Al-Amin because of the good qualities Allah had given him. He spent many quiet hours in a cave in Mount Hira, not far from Mecca, thinking about Allah. Among Quraysh was a respected and wealthy woman named Khadija. She was involved in trade and on hearing Muhammad's reputation, sent for him and asked him to take her goods and trade with them in Syria. Muhammad agreed and left for Syria with one of Khadija's caravans. Okay, And when they arrived back in Mecca, Maisara told Khadija everything about the trip and what he had noticed about uh, Muhammad's character and behavior. Khadija was a widow in her 40s and she was rich and highly respected and she was also beautiful. When she met Muhammad she thought he was very special and she sent a friend to ask uh, Prophet Muhammad why he was not married. Um, Prophet Muhammad was happy because he greatly respected Khadija and he went with his uncles Abu Talib and Hamza to Khadija's uncle and asked his permission to marry her. The uncle gave his permission and soon after Muhammad and Khadija were married. The marriage was a happy one and Muhammad and Khadija were well suited. Their life together, however, was not without some sadness. They were blessed with six children, two sons and four daughters. Sadly, their firstborn, a son called Qasim, died shortly before his second birthday and their last child, also a son, only lived for a short time. Happily, their four daughters, Zainab, Rukhaya, Umm Qultum and Fatima all survived. For a few years, Muhammad lived a calm and quiet life as a merchant in Mecca. His wisdom benefited many people. One such time was when Quraysh decided to rebuild the Kaaba. It was a difficult decision for them because they had to knock it down before rebuilding it and the people were afraid that Allah might be angry with them for knocking down his sanctuary. At last, one of the wise old men of Quraysh decided to begin that everybody followed him. They worked until they reached down to the first foundation that Abraham, that is Ibrahim al-Islam, had built. As soon as they began to remove the stones of this foundation, however, the whole of Mecca began to shake. They were so afraid that they decided to leave these stones where they were and build on top of them. Each tribe bought stones and they built the Kaaba up until they reached the place where the black stone was to be set. 
They then began to argue about who would have the honor of carrying the black stone and lifting it to its place in the corners of the Kaaba. They almost came to blows, but unfortunately, um, one of the men offered a solution. He suggested that they should be guided by the first person to enter the place of worship. They all agreed, and as Muhammad Wasallam was the first to enter, everyone was pleased because they all trusted him. They told him the cause of the argument, and he asked them to bring a large cloak. They did as he asked, and after spreading the cloak on the ground, he placed the black stone in the center of it. Then he asked a man from each tribe to hold one edge of the cloak and together to raise it to the height where the stone should be. When this was done, he took the stone off the cloak and put it into place himself. This story shows how all the Quraysh respected and trusted Muhammad and how by his wisdom and good sense he was able to keep the peace. Okay. Muhammad believed that there was only one Allah, creator of the sun, the moon, earth, the sky, and all of the living things, and that all people should worship only him. Muhammad would often leave the crowded city and go into the cave in Mount Hera. He liked to be alone there, away from all thoughts of the world and daily life, eating and drinking a little. In his 40th year, Muhammad left Mecca to spend Ramadan, the traditional month of retreat, in the cave. In the second half of Ramadan, Allah began to reveal his message for mankind through Muhammad. His first revelation occurred as follows. The archangel, Jibreel, came to Muhammad in the cave and commanded him to read. Muhammad replied, I cannot read. At this, the archangel took Muhammad in his arms and pressed him to himself until it was almost too much to bear. He then released him and said again, read. I cannot, replied Muhammad, at which the archangel embraced him again. For a third time, the archangel commanded Muhammad to read, but still he said he could not and was again embraced. On releasing him this time, however, the archangel said, Read in the name of thy Lord who created created man from a clot. Read, and thy Lord is the most generous who teacheth by the pen, teacheth man that which he knew not. This Quran, Surah 96, verse 1 to 5. This is Surah Al-Alaq, the clot. Okay, so Muhammad repeated these verses just as the archangel had said them. When the archangel was sure Muhammad knew them by heart, he went away. Now that he was alone, Muhammad could not understand what had happened to him. He was terribly afraid and rushed out of the cave. He was stopped by a voice from heaven which said, Oh Muhammad, you are the messenger of Allah and I am Jibreel. He looked up at the sky and whenever he turned, he saw the archangel Jibreel. In a state of confusion, he returned home to Khadija. When his wife saw him, she became very worried as he began to sh- and he began to shiver as though he had gotten a fever. He asked her to wrap him in blankets, which she did. After a while, he recovered sufficiently to tell her what happened at Hira. Khadija believed that all he told her, with great respect, said, Be happy. O son of my uncle, and be confident. Truly, I swear by Allah, who has my soul in his hands, that you will be our people's prophet. Muhammad the messenger of Allah, was eased by her faith in him. But after all that had happened, he was exhausted and fell asleep. Khadija left the Prophet uh, sleeping and went to see her cousin, Waraka ibn Nawfal, to ask him what he thought about all that he had happened. Waraka was a very wise man who had read many books and who had become a Christian after studying the Bible. He told Khadija that Muhammad had been chosen by Allah to be his messenger, just as the archangel Jibreel had come to 
Musa before and had ordered him to guide his people. So too would Muhammad be the prophet of his people. But Waraka warned that all the people would not listen to the prophet and then some would mistreat his followers. He must, however, be patient because, because he had a great message for all the world. From that day on, the angel Jibreel came often to the prophet and the verses he taught him, the message from Allah to man, were later written down and are known to us as the Holy Quran. After that momentous day in the month of Ramadan, the revelation came again and again to the Prophet. This under, he understood now that when he had to, <coughs> what he had to do and prepare himself for what has to come. Only a strong and brave man, helped by Allah, can be a true prophet because people often refuse to listen to Allah's message. Khadija was the first to believe that Prophet Muhammad was um, accepted as a prophet by Allah and through her Allah made things easier for the prophet Khadija strengthened him helped him spread his message and stood up to the people who were against him then revolution ceased for a time the prophet was upset and unhappy thinking that Allah had left him or that he might have angered Allah in some way so that Allah no longer thought him worthy of his message however the archangel Jibreel came back to him and brought this surah or chapter of the Quran in the name of Allah beneficial the merciful by the morning hours and by the night which is which it is stillest thy lord hath neither forsaken thee nor doth he hate thee and verily the last will be better for thee than the first and verily thy lord will give unto thee so that thou wilt be content did he not find thee an orphan and protect thee did he not find thee wandering and guide thee did he not find thee destitute and enrich thee therefore the orphan oppress not therefore the beggar drive not away and as for thy lord's blessing declare it the surah 93 verse 1 to 11 the prophet began to speak secretly of allah's message to those who were close to him and whom he could trust so at first the message of islam was spread like this in secret at that time makkah was going through hard times there was very little food to be had abu talib the prophet's uncle who had taken care of him after his grandfather's death was finding it very difficult to feed his large family the Prophet ﷺ said that he and another uncle, Al-Abbas, who was a rich man, would each bring up one of Abu Talib's children in order to help him. The Prophet took Ali uh, and his uncle took Jafar, the sons of his uncle. One day, when the Prophet ﷺ was outside the city, Angel Jibreel appeared to him. The angel kicked the side of a hill and a spring of water began to flow out. He then began to wash himself in the running water to show the Prophet the ritual of ablution that is wudu, to be made before prayer. Then the archangel showed him all the positions of uh, Muslim prayer, the various movements and things to be said with each movement. The Prophet ﷺ returned home and taught all these things first to Khadija and then to his followers. Since then, Muslims have continued to purify themselves before prayer by performing the ritual ablution, that is wudu, and have followed the same movements and prayers first performed by the Prophet ﷺ. To begin with, that is in the starting only the prophet وسلم, and his wife knew of these things then one day Ali عنها, entered the room and found the prophet and Khadija praying he was puzzled and asked what they were doing the prophet explained to him that they were praising Allah and giving thanks to him that night Ali عنها, stayed up thinking about all that the prophet had said he had great admiration and respect for his cousin finally he came to a decision that the next day he went to the prophet and told him that he wanted to follow him. Thus Khadija was the first woman 
to embrace Islam, the teachings which Prophet brought from Allah and Ali was the first young man. Shortly after, they were joined by Zayd ibn Harita, a slave, freed and adopted by Prophet Muhammad The Prophet began to leave Makkah with an order to pray. One day, Abu Talib happened to pass by and when he saw him, he stopped and asked them what they were doing. The Prophet told him that they were praying and following the same religion as Ibrahim. He explained that like Abraham, that is Ibrahim, he had been ordered to guide the people to Allah's truth. Abu Talib looked at his son, Ali and said, Muhammad would never make you do anything that was wrong. Go with him. But I cannot leave the religion I now follow and which was followed by my father. Then he turned to the Prophet saying, Even though I promise you, Muhammad, that no one will hurt you as long as I am alive. And with that, Abu Talib went on his way. At about this time, the news of Muhammad being the Prophet reached an honest, wise and respected merchant of Mecca called Abu Bakr. He knew Muhammad well and believed he would never lie. So he went to find out for himself if the story were true. The Prophet Muhammad told him that he had indeed been sent by Allah to teach everyone to worship the one true God. On hearing this from the Prophet's own lips, Abu Bakr knew it had to be the truth and became a believer instantly. Later, the Prophet was reported to have said that everyone he ever invited to accept Islam showed signs of disbelief and doubt except Abu Bakr. When he was told of it, he did not hold back or hesitate. Because of his wisdom, honesty and kindness, people had always turned to Abu Bakr for advice. He was therefore a man of some influence and through him many people came to Islam. Among these were Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, the uncle of Amina, the Prophet's mother. The night before Abu Bakr came to visit him and tell him about Islam, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas dreamt that he was walking in darkness. As he walked, he saw the moon and then when he looked at it, he saw Ali, Abu Bakr, Zaid and Prophet's freed slave beckoning to him to come and join them. When Abu Bakr told him about the Prophet's religion, he understood the meaning of his dream and went at at once to the Prophet and declared himself a Muslim. He understood that to be a Muslim means to submit oneself to Allah's will and to serve him only. Another person brought to Islam by Abu Bakr was Bilal. One night Abu Bakr went to the house of Umayyah ibn Khalaf, one of the most important men of Quraysh. Umayyah was out and Abu Bakr found only Umayyah's slave Bilal at home. Abu Bakr talked to the slave about Islam and before he left Bilal too had become a Muslim. The number of people following the Prophet began to grow. Sometimes they would all go out of the city to the mountains around Makkah to hear him recite the Quran and be taught by him. This was all done very secretly and only a few people knew about Islam in those early days. Okay, I think part one, we will stop here and then um, we will move on with the story. So yeah, I'll see you then. Bye.